think for me, you know, as a a globe trotter at heart, like I love travel, I love living abroad. It was definitely an easier transition, I think, because like I said, I've had so much life experience mm-hmm. compared to someone like in their twenties, you know, still in college. But I think back on it, I'm like, I think part of me that was like, check, it was a mission that I almost had. It was like, Nicole, you've traveled and been to all these different places, but you never had that opportunity to study abroad when you were an undergrad. Mm-hmm. So now I'm thinking about back on it, I was like, yeah, I'm glad that I was able to like, you know, have that life experience checked off my list. But I think it's more not necessarily age thing, but just a mentality yeah. thing. Like I was saying before about being flexible, like you can be in, you know, my, you know, in your mid thirties, early thirties when I you know, went, was in Germany, but it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're not flexible, then it's not going to be for you. So I think, yeah. I think it's more about just like personality wise, adaptability mm-hmm. more than anything. Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Nicole as the guest. Nicole is from Detroit, and among many things, she is an educator based in Oman. Teaching is not something she initially saw herself doing in life, But what do you know, now she's been teaching for a decade. And that started with her teaching English in South Korea for a number of years, and then moving on to Oman, where she's been for around seven years now. And Nicole actually took some time away from teaching in Oman to pursue her master's degree in Germany. And that master's degree was focused around humanitarian action and nonprofit work. In addition to that, as part of her program, which she did mostly in Germany, she also got to spend some time doing an internship and research in South Africa. So as you can tell, Nicole has been to many places and drawing from all the experiences she's had and the insight that she's gained from her travels, she is also a travel blogger. Along with a fellow educator she met while she was in South Korea, the two of them together started and still co-run a blog and Facebook group and overall travel community that's called I Love to Globetrot. That's something that Nicole is very passionate about and whether it be as an educator, as a blogger, as an author, which you'll hear more about in this conversation. In whatever facet of life she finds herself, she is generous and passionate about helping people, connecting with people, and sharing the insight that she's gained along the way. And so I hope that you learn something from what she has to say as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Nicole, Brewer. Yeah, pretty much same. <laughs> so, um, well, thank you for, I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you about to say? I was just going to say, I've seen that you've had some, some people that I, I follow and enjoy as guests recently on the, the like Gabby from Pax Light, mm. I, I love watching her journey as a blogger. She's killing it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's exciting. People sharing their stories. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And I mean, it's, it's a pleasure for me to have you as a guest as well. I appreciate you reaching out and everything. Okay. So let's start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Okay. No problem. Um, well, my name is Nicole Burr. I am, wow, almost 40, 39. <laughs> and I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. And I graduated from the University of Michigan in undergrad and studied communications as a major. And, you know, I actually had some background, um, experience working in the market research and also in like IT sales for several years after I graduated from college. But, you know, my story is interesting because I was actually laid off from my job 
And I used to work in market research. So I decided after almost six months of searching for work with no luck back in the last recession that I would move abroad for a year. And a year turned into a decade. <laughs> you know, I actually <laughs> taught English in Korea and I renewed my contract several times and was in South Korea for three years. And then after South Korea, I moved to the Middle East in Oman and taught English for a year. And in that time of living in the Middle East is when I saved up to go to grad school in Germany. You know, it's a quite an interesting tale because I went to Germany, studied for a year, and also did an internship in South Africa, part of my, my master's research program. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up coming back to the Middle East. I'm back in Oman. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. you know, my, my story is yeah, definitely unique. I've been all over the globe in the past 10 years, but mm. I wouldn't trade this lifestyle for the world. I, I love yeah. And, yeah. and here we are. Yeah. Presently. <laughs> here we are. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. So you said communications and was doing, working in market research until, you know, you lost your job and decided to move to Korea. So uh, why mm-hmm. Korea? Because I know a lot of people do, you know, if they're trying to make a life change or just want to try something new, they'll like try teaching abroad for a little bit. But everyone has their different reasons for doing it and for choosing where they decide to go. So why did you choose South Korea? Mm, good question. Well, it's an interesting story because before I stopped um, working back in Chicago, like I'm you know, from Detroit, but I lived in Chicago for several years. And uh, several of my good friends were from Chicago. And like the year before I actually was um, unemployed, I went to visit a couple of my girlfriends in Japan. They were all actually te- teaching English at the time in Japan. It was three ladies, actually. <laughs> it was a crazy story. But so I went to visit um, me and my girlfriend, Erica. We went to visit one of our really good friends from college, Lisa, and a couple other girls. Mm. And they were all teaching in Japan. And in my mind, I was like, that's such a cool experience. I should, you know, do something like that. So initially, I was when I was looking into teaching abroad, I thought maybe I would do Japan. But after doing more research, and like, luckily, my girlfriend I taught in Japan, she actually had girlfriends who had experience of teaching in Korea as well. She was like, well, maybe you should consider, you know, looking to a couple of different places. So, you know, she hooked me up with her friends to talk to them and learning about their experience. I felt like Korea was a better speed for me than Japan because my girlfriends that taught in Japan, they all spoke Japanese. So mm-hmm. it made their, their transition a bit easier. Yeah. And I was like, okay, in South Korea, most people grasp with English. So me as a novice, I think that was an easier transition than I thought Japan would be so. I think I made the right choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you stayed for three years. So, I mean, you know, it must have been enough things there that you liked about it to make you stay for a little while. Life was good in Korea. You know, it's interesting because when I decided to leave, I just kind of get to a point of me, you know, I, I like to move move around and I was just looking for a different experience. And I was like, well, the Middle East doesn't get much more different from <laughs> East Asia than living in the Middle East. So, you know, when I left, I thought it was a good decision at that time, but. Mm. You know, South Korea doesn't own me anything. I had a blast over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was wondering if maybe yeah. something happened or you got tired of it that made you want to leave. But I guess you just wanted to, you know, not get settled too long in one place. wanted to move on to somewhere else. Yeah. That was really the rationale. I never would have thought after I left Korea, like now nah, I've been in the Middle East for almost seven years and I don't, I don't know how that happened. I was not <laughs> expecting to stay here. That I thought after I'd be kind of antsy like in Korea. Oh, Three to four years, I'll be ready to go to the next destination. I'm like, oh, no, life is kind of good here, too. So mm-hmm. I've stayed put longer than I planned on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, was it difficult transitioning to teaching English since that wasn't what you were doing before? And I don't know if you had any interest or aspirations in teaching it all before moving to Korea. But was that a difficult transition? Yes. I will say that, <laughs> you know, truth be told, I never honestly thought that I would be an educator and for this to be the field that I've stayed in for a decade like I don't know how this happened I keep saying that but it's true it's like I don't know maybe it was just destiny you know and and now I'm really enjoying it but when I first like I said I was only planning to stay in career one maybe two years Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any teaching experience so I actually had um did a TESOL, like a teaching English as a second language certificate Mm -hmm. in the time that I was moving to South Korea like when, when I, once I get like literally my first or second week, we had like an orientation period and I learned about a, a TEFL program. And so I decided to do that, you know, as my introduction to teaching. 
But literally, like, it was definitely a transition, but one of the reasons that I highly recommend South Korea, like, for a newbie like me, to the field, well, when I wasn't a newbie, <laughs> not anymore, mm-hmm. but to anyone that's new to the field, because the beauty of South Korea, like, I was working with um, EPIC, the English program in Korea, mm-hmm. and so when you're with the EPIC program, you're in a school system, and you have a co-teacher in the classroom with you. So it wasn't like I just got thrown in the first week and I was standing there by myself like right. I had a Korean teacher who obviously knew how to speak English, but it was nice because, you know, like I was her co-teacher. She took the lead and I was more of the language speaker. That was really my purpose of being there. Obviously, I did help with smaller things like with grammar, but my first two years there, it was primary school. So obviously primary it, it was a lot about speaking and and not not as much as about grammar mm-hmm. now when i teach in the middle east i'm on a college level totally different wow. but then it was the perfect transition for me because i was really taking a leave from her and learning on the on the job essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it was, it was great though yeah yeah that, that was, i highly recommend it yeah okay is there um i mean how did you i know it's like a kind of a, like general or really open question by me how did you find living in korea or adjusting to korea um how was that for you mm. well you know i think for me i would say it wasn't too difficult for me to adjust like obviously there's going to be culture shock mm-hmm. i think like since i've been doing it for so long i'm i can really think back one and then think about my experience and i have so many more so many more positive experiences than negative that i And I'm an optimistic person, so I look back on all of the good memories for Mm -hmm. the most part. So, like, you deal with culture shock moving into a different place. Like, I have a funny story. My first week in Korea, I remember this vividly because it was one of the first times that I went to the grocery store. And just, like, just one of the things that really hit home for me, I was like, this is so different than what I dealt with back home in the U.S. Went to the grocery store for the first time by myself. And I mean, you know, you're, you're looking at different products and most products have some English, but of course, some things only have experience. So you're like really trying to figure out if this is, you know, detergent that doesn't have bleach in it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to mess with my clothes. Just mm-hmm. all the things you have to deal with, you know, when you are first shopping for the first time. But I remember, you know, getting into the line and putting my things on the conveyor belt. And then the person standing in front of me had like a plastic bag in their hand, you know, like for fish or something. So they put the plastic bag on the conveyor belt. Then the plastic bag just started slithering Ooh. on the conveyor belt. It was like a, a live octopus. Exactly. It was a live octopus moving on the conveyor belt. Ooh. And I just remember like thinking to myself, like, what did you just get yourself into? I've never seen anything like this happen in real life. <laughs> so you know, that's just one of the things that I was like, yeah, this is totally different. And, you know, you definitely, you know, signed yourself up for an, an, an adventure. Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> one of those experiences I remember vividly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> And were you, um, were you in like a major city or were you in like a countryside somewhere? Mm, luckily for me, yeah, when I was in South Korea, um, I was in Busan. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've heard of the movie The Train of Busan. Yeah, I've been yeah, in Busan. So it's nice. Know, it's like, like, oh, yes, exactly. So I was there the entire time I was in Korea. I loved it. You know, they have six or seven beaches. It's, you know, the second largest city outside of Seoul. Mm. Like, I loved it, you know. But um, it's a total transition now. Living in the Middle East, I'm in a small town compared to when I was a big city living. So, <laughs> yeah, but Busan was really good. It was good. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so you went from yeah. South, South Korea mm-hmm. to Oman. And why did you choose Oman? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you said the Middle East would be something different, but why Oman specifically? Well... It's funny because now I think about my experience, like initially when I was looking to the Middle East, I considered Dubai. Like when I thought of the Middle East, the first thing I thought of was the UAE. Mm. I didn't even know until I started researching and looking up opportunities. And, you know, obviously Dubai, UAE is very competitive. So applying for positions there was not much luck. But then I happened to saw a, an ad for a job in Oman and I was like, oh, I'm going to come to this little small country that's like the little brother of UAE. And that's, I literally just kind of fell to my lap. I didn't like purposely go out looking for Oman and just Oman found me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, um, but I'm chosen because like, it's a beautiful country. Omanis are sweet people. It's safe. Like, I don't have any issues here. I, I love it. So, yeah, I made a good choice. Again, I've been blessed from you know, South Korea to here. So. Yeah. And yeah. um, so you said you teach at the college level now. Was that, has that been the case this mm-hmm. whole time since you've been in Oman? 
Summit on the Mind, yes. Funny, the funny part is I've actually taught at the summit in Nizwa. You know, it's about an hour, hour and a half outside of Muscat. I've been in Nizwa the entire time teaching mm-hmm. at the College of Applied Science. So, but even like when I first came for the year, then I left and went to Germany. And then I came back. I came back to the same college because mm-hmm. they needed help. Okay. <laughs> when I come back, so yeah. Yeah. How was? Mm-hmm. I mean, was it hard to adjust to like teaching? You know, young children to teaching at the college level. Or was that kind of, did you feel confident because of your previous experience? I felt fairly confident because, like, I, I didn't go too much in, like, to detail about my experience in Korea. I was I, I was there for a little over three years, actually, like three and a half. Okay. Years. So my first two years in South Korea, I taught in primary. I small, worked with small kids. Right. In my last year, year and a half in South Korea, I was in school. So I had, like, a nice range of experience. And, you know, working with high schoolers in South Korea and then coming to college and on mine, truth be told, I think that that high school experience really prepared me because, like, most of my students here are fresh out of high school, mm. like, their introduction to college life. So they have that mentality of, like, high schoolers, truth be told, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Mm. So it wasn't that difficult of a transition, um, being in the classroom with, like, they're still teenagers between 18 to 20, 21, the mm. average age of my students. So biggest transition was culturally because mm. like here in Oman, you know, my the, the college that I work for there, it's mixing, you know, boys and women and men, young, young ladies and men. And when they were in from primary to high school, they were always segregated. It was always all oh. boys or all girls high school. OK, like their mind is blown because they're in a classroom with boys for the first time. Mm. So if that was the biggest transition for me was like this is you know in Korea the kids they're, they're used to being around boys and girls but culturally it was a different setting because most times girls can't even speak to boys mm. who are not in their family so as a teacher just imagine being in a classroom <laughs> with these young adults who mentality wise it was like they're, they're almost as young as my high schoolers in South Korea mm. and, and on top of that the classroom is segregated Right. Like boys have to sit on one side of the class, girls have to sit on the other side. Like wow. culture-wise, they have separate entrances into the college. So that was the biggest. I was like, okay, this is different. Mm-hmm. It was a culture shock. <laughs> wow, culture shock from what I experienced in South Korea. Wow, yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and is that like within like the getting their college education? Are they separated throughout that whole time, or is that just like first year? All four years for them, they are wow. segregated. Yes, isn't okay. it? Like, it, it's right. So, obviously, like, there isn't, because, you know, as a, and I've been here seven years now, so throughout the years, I've taught, you know, um, freshmen, I say, you know, the, the first year compared to like third or fourth year students. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a, a difference in maturity by the time they get to the older, the higher levels. Okay. They feel more confident. Like, they have to, you know, on a college level, I'm teaching them. Like APA representing, and they have to give PowerPoint presentations. That first, those first year students, they're so nervous about having to stand in front of the classroom in front of boys. Oh. <laughs> and so, compared to like by the time they get ready to graduate, it's, it's, I know they're, they're, they're so adorable. That's what I was going to say, my babies. Like, yeah. they're just like, oh, teacher, can you let the boys? I want them in the classroom. I'm like, ladies, if you want to work in a professional setting, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to prepare for like, like I'm literally teaching them like life lessons on top of just you know, skills on how to give a presentation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really interesting. That's <laughs> something I really had not considered. Yeah. So you're dealing, you're teaching at a college level and also dealing with this cultural, this different cultural aspect within the classroom. Wow. Okay. And so you were in Oman for a year and then you started or decided to pursue a master's degree and that took you to Germany. Was that mm-hmm. entire, is that where you did your entire master's program? Was that it, like at a university in Germany or something? Well, it's quite interesting. I spent nine months of my time, like I two terms, like four and a half months, four and a half months, nine, nine months out of the year in Germany. And, it, you know, it's quite interesting because like I, I was saying before, even though I'm teaching now, when I decided to go to grad school, I had the mindset I was going to get into like nonprofit NGO work. Because mm. I still, like I said, I love living abroad, but I want I be, you know, humanitarian. And in a way, I still feel like I am a humanitarian, you know, I'm a teacher. But at that time, I, that was like the dream, like, oh, I want to work for like, you know, a nonprofit. So I went to Germany and I did the two terms in Germany for the nine months 
But then I applied for a summer internship. Like the, the way that the program works, it's like a dual master's program. So if I wanted to study abroad, like one semester in Germany and one in France, like there were seven partner universities, part of that network. And then they have sister universities where you can continue your research. So mm-hmm. I applied for an internship and to do like my um, my thesis in South Africa wow. at their sister university in Cape Town. So I actually was accepted and I won a scholarship for my three months in um, Cape Town. So I did nine months in Germany. Then I went to Cape Town for three months and I did an internship working there and, you know, did my research, like interviewing ladies at certain um, gender justice institutes. So it was quite the experience. Like, like I said, I've literally been all around the globe. Yeah. But um, I, I highly recommend the program that I did, the network on humanitarian aid. It's called NOHA. And they have plenty of opportunities to study in Europe. Like if you look into the Erasmus Mundus programs, I learned about that. And, you know, people, more and more people are interested in studying abroad in, in Germany and like different places in Europe because obviously it's much cheaper than getting mm-hmm. a master's in the U.S. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for me, it because I'm studying this amazing country and then it's like affordable. Like literally the money that I saved in that year of teaching in the Middle East, I didn't have to take out any student loans okay. in Germany. Like I had saved up enough money. One a scholarship, so the three months I've lived in Cape Town basically was paid for. So it was a blessing all around that yeah. experience. So oh. I highly recommend. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. So like the what what was the university that you went through for your masters? Well, the, the university I was at in Germany is actually a small, like not many people know it. It's called the University of Bochum. Okay. And Bochum is about an hour outside of Dusseldorf. Like, people know Dusseldorf. They okay. know, you know, yeah. obviously Berlin. Like, but it, was, it was such an interesting program because it was humanitarian work. So, you know, we had, it was accelerated too. Like I said, I finished it in a year. So we had science courses. We had law courses. I remember like even some of the humanitarian courses, people from the Red Cross would come in and, and give us talks. And we had like one hands training. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of everything, you know, but they have, like I said, with that Erasmus Mundus, it's like an umbrella. They have business, you know, they have humanitarian work. Okay. They have um, design architecture. So just really depending on what you're interested in, they probably have it a part of the Erasmus Mundus program. Mm. Okay. And Germany, yeah. had you... Had you been to Europe before you moved to Germany for grad school? Um, I traveled there. Like, you know, I've been to Italy. I, I, I've traveled to, you know, different places throughout Europe. Mm. But that was my first time living there. Yeah. And honestly, that was a big reason that I wanted to study abroad because, like, I wanted to have that experience of living in Europe. Mm. And so, like, my, my ultimate goal is, like, after I was working in the Middle East, I want to get back to Europe to live, like, my retirement years. Like, I want to, you know, you know, have a little business there. That's really the goal. But at that time, I really just wanted to have that experience of living there and filling it out. Mm-hmm. But, like, the beauty of that particular program, the main reason that I chose Germany was because my studies were all in English. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying before, if I, if I wanted to study France, I would have had to know French. If I wanted to study, I forget where else, in Spain, I would have to have Spanish. But for me, I chose Germany because I was like, okay, they, everything's in English and I can do that. <laughs> program yeah that was part of the reason too okay yeah (laughs) so that worked out um so like how was that for you living in germany how did you um how did you find obviously a lot of time was taken up with your studies but how did you find living in germany for the time that you were there Mm, you know it's interesting because like you said most of the time i was in the classroom Mm -hmm. um but also as a teacher like i did have a little part-time job on the side, but it was online. I was actually teaching English online to like businesses, like, you know, employees. So mm. it worked out being able to still have my teaching experience and bring in some pocket change. But I just think about most, most of my experience there, it was like with other international students. Like there were, there were probably about 35 to 40% of the people in the class in this my program were German, but then there were also people from Portugal and from different places. So I really enjoyed that aspect of that diversity of like, you know, Africans were in my class, like people from everywhere. But German culture wise, I would say probably was the more difficult experience out of most of my experiences living abroad just because hmm. they can be kind of cold. <laughs> it's oh. like if, I, if I'm at the grocery store and, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, a certain product like in South Korea everyone just like oh how can I you know like they they really want to help me in German so just like 
you know, figure it out. <laughs> you know, like, so that, that was probably the biggest, you know, like, they didn't go above and beyond to help you. Even here in Oman, like, Oman is really, even if they barely speak English, they'll find, like, oh, they're going to talk to my grandson. He speaks pretty good English. Like, they, they will try to help you. Aww. So, like, that, that was probably the biggest. But, you know, I had a tough skin. I really, you know, like I said, I'm very adaptable, so I, I, I figure out how to make it work. But that was probably the hardest experience mm-hmm. of, of the places I've lived abroad. Yeah. Overall, though, like, I have way more positive. So, like, I, I, it wasn't, like, a bad experience overall. It was just, just different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that adaptability is, is something that you've gained over time? Or is that something, is that kind of how you've always been as a person? Like his, That's a very good question. Yeah. I think that I have always had a, a optimistic spirit, like an optimistic outlook on life. Like I've always been a go-getter. So for me, it's like, this is what you wanted to do, Nicole. You're, you're making it happen. So like, I think I have that type of mentality. I've always had it. But um, I've definitely become more flexible. I will say that in my adjustment period of living abroad, like you need to have it at least to be able to really to have that adjustment. But, but especially now, like I think about living in the middle East, it's such a laid back place. Everything's like, Oh, inshallah, we'll get to it. And, you know, as, as a Detroiter, you know, and living in big city girl, like I had the big city mentality. So now it's like, I've become a little more, lay back in nature and I do feel like that's part of my experience of living in like a different culture like I didn't have that before I was always like go 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 big mm-hmm. city girl Detroit Chicago <laughs> so I've, I've definitely learned some levels of adaptability from mm-hmm. living abroad yeah yeah that's good and you mentioned how um in Germany part of the reason you picked getting pursuing your master's in Germany was because everything was in English you know living in the different places you've lived have you picked up other languages um, along the way, or have you pretty much been able to to do pretty well with just English? Yeah, it's bad because I'll say I'm a good teacher, but I'm a horrible student. Like, <laughs> I definitely like, like you know, like I said, when I was there, most of my time I was trying to pass my lectures, so I really wasn't worried about like learning the language. I, you know, just being around people and and hearing the language, you're going to remember phrases. So I did use certain things, but. Now thinking back on it, I barely can probably remember two or three phrases. But you know, being in South, I would say I was more interested in learning learning the language when I was in South Korea. Like I actually took a class and and learned how to like I can still read Korean. Mm. Like I just just now I, I got an email and I just I recognize the, you know the letters. Like I I learned how to read Korean and I learned more phrases just because I, you know I think maybe because it was my first experience abroad, I was like so excited. Mm. You know, and now I'm just kind of like. Arabic, oof, Arabic, that's a whole nother ball game. Like, <laughs> I definitely know phrases because I'm like, I'm interacting with students all the time. So, but I'm always using English. I go to the grocery store, I'm using English. Like, I don't really push myself to really try to use Arabic. And so, like, I, I think I'm a little scared of that language. Like, looking at the letters and it just it looks so complicated. Like, Korean, it was easy to pick up the letters. Mm. But here it's a, it's a different ball game. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and so, okay. So you were in Germany and then you decided to do the internship in, in Cape Town, right? Was it specifically because it was dealing with, um, I think it was gender, gender justice, you said, or did you have a specific desire to go to, to Cape Town as well? Well, for me, it was a win win because mm. looking at the places that could have done an internship. Like I think like, somebody in my program, they went to New York, but that was a German person. So they were like, I'm going to New York. And I'm like, I want to go to New York. I'm going to go to, so you know what I mean? Like I want to do an internship in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I was, you know, Cape Town made the most sense for the experience that I wanted, as well as the, the, the topic that I chose for my thesis. Like I was saying, it was about, you know, cause I, in undergrad, I was a communications major and then now I'm doing a humanitarian work. So the way I thought, looked at it, I was marrying the two things that I, I was passionate about, like humanitarianism and communication. So when I applied for an internship, I was working in the communications department of a nonprofit that dealt with gender justice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, the, the topic of the was like about communication and media perceptions of like women who have been victims of violence, like how they perceived in the media. So it, it really worked out because literally I married two things that I was passionate about and then on top of it, I get to live in South Africa for three months to do an amazing internship. So 
I was grateful that I, I was able, I was able to work it out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it all came together. Okay. Oh, I I should have asked earlier, but what was it? Um, why did you decide to pursue humanitarianism in the first place? Because, like you said, you started out well when you were an undergrad. You know, communications was your thing, and then you know you worked in different fields since then, and then came to pursuing your master's and um you know to to be a humanitarian what what about humanitarianism appealed to you so much that you wanted to to pursue that the way you did well you know that's a good question like for me i think i felt like if i worked in nonprofit work it would it would i would have opportunities like for me as a traveler mm-hmm. like opportunities like i could go to cape can work anywhere you know but it's kind of similar to education in that sense like the the flexibility of being able to work in different places but i always like like helping people so i'm an educator i'm human like i'm a humanitarian at heart at the end of the day yeah so like i remember my year in oman when i was looking at grad schools and i started applying one of the things that really set off like this humanitarianism um idea was i had went to kenya to um on a trip, you know, my first year here in Oman, my first holiday, I think we had like a long weekend. I ended up going to Kenya. And when I, I knew I was, that was going to be my first time going to Africa. And I was just like, I really want to go to a nonprofit. I want to help in some way. Like I just had this mentality. I'm going to Africa the first time. I really want to give back. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Kenya, I actually did a program where I was like, after the feed, um, about 50, between 50 to 100, you know, um, youth that were homeless or whatever in Kenya. And so after having that experience, I'm just like, oh, this is your calling. Like, you're supposed to be helping people. Mm-hmm. So that that really sparked, like, when I was in programs. Yeah, travel really influenced that idea for me. So. Yeah. Well, good for you, having that sense yeah. of purpose and, um, and, and being open to change, you know. It seems like you've done so many different things, like, career-wise, and then the places you've lived have all been different as well. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's really admirable. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, not looking back on it, tell something I share my story, I don't even realize, I'm like, wow, you've been literally everywhere, like all over the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as, as a expat, how that happened, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could describe South Africa or maybe Cape Town specifically as you know it, you know, what kind of, what kind of place did you, did you find, um, Cape Town to be? Hmm. Well, you know, I love Cape Town. When I when I think back, and I, you know, I've been back. You know, funny part is this: um, I've been back to South Africa twice since I lived there. And me as a globe traveler, like I've been to almost fifty countries, and I don't repeat countries very often. But something about South Africa, like that's a place I, I call it my spirit. Like in particular, Cape Town is my spirit city. Like when I went back in January, just like, mm. oh, you're back home. You know, like it was just. It's something about that place that just soothes my soul. Like, it's so beautiful and, you know, just, like, such a fun vibe. I still know people there. Like, Cape Town is a vibe. I will say that. Like, overall, it's a vibe. So, yeah, I have such good memories from being there. So, yeah, I'll be back, inshallah, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <Yeah>. you will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, since you, I mean, you were, like, a full-on adult when you were studying abroad in like Germany and South Africa, you know, being, you know, just being a little more mature and having a little more life experience. Do you think that kind of made a difference in your approach to studying abroad versus if you had um, studied when you were in or studied abroad when you were in undergrad? Yeah. You know, that's a very good question. I never thought about it like that. I, I think for me, you know, as a a globe trotter at heart, like I love travel, I love living abroad. It was definitely an easier transition, I think, because like I said, I've had too much life experience mm-hmm. compared to someone like in their 20s, you know, still in college. But I think back on it, I'm like, I think part of me that was like, check, it was a mission that I almost had. It was like, Nicole, you traveled and been to all these different places, but you never had that opportunity to study abroad when you were an undergrad. Mm. So now thinking about back on, I'm just like, yeah, I'm glad that I was able to like, you know, have that life experience checked off my list. But yeah, I, I definitely think, I, I think it's a transition. Like I think, I think it's more not necessarily age thing, but just a mentality yeah. thing. Like I was saying before about being flexible, like 
you can be in, you know, my, you know, in your mid thirties, early thirties when I you know, when was in Germany, but it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're not flexible, you're, it's not going to be for you. So I think, yeah. I think it's more about just like personality wise, adaptability mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah. yeah. And so you mm-hmm. went back to Oman after you got your, finished your master's, moved back to Oman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're back at, again, teaching at that same college you were teaching at before, before you left. Did you, I'm curious, mm-hmm. did you ever go back to Detroit or back to the States in all this time that you were going from South Korea to Oman to Germany, South Africa, like all these different places? Did you ever go back to Detroit <laughs> or back, back to the States somewhere? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny because as a, that, that was, that's been a beauty of like teaching abroad and probably a reason why I stuck with it for so, for so long because I always get summer break. So now with COVID, you know, like this is probably the first summer in since I've been living, actually, no, that's the second sermon, not, not I remember. When I was studying in Germany, I didn't have time to go back home. So that was one one summer I didn't go back home when I uh, um, left Oman and I went straight there. But other than that, this is the first time outside of studying or working that I am not going home. Like every summer I usually go back, mm. you know, and my family, my mom, my sisters are in Atlanta now. So usually I'm going back home to Georgia to see them, like home, not really my home, but they're home. <laughs> going home to, you know, see USA to visit my family. But just last summer, I was in Detroit for the first time in like over five years for my high school reunion, which was amazing. So oh, I'm so wow. grateful that. Now I'm thinking back on it, I was like, I'm so happy that it was last summer, not this summer, because I wouldn't have made it home this summer. <laughs> I can't travel yeah. <laughs> right now with COVID. So. I was a blessing I was going to make it back, but yeah, yeah, this is the first summer in a long time been home, so I'm kind of like, oh, I miss my family. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's really unfortunate <laughs> that you can't go home this summer. Um, I mean, I'm glad you did have that experience of going. Oh, you actually did mention that, and it totally slipped my mind. I remember you said in the email that you went to your high school reunion, and, and I that I totally forgot about that. But yeah, that must have been a good time you know and i'm sure you're still finding ways to keep up with your your loved ones even if you can't go visit them this summer right exactly that's the beauty of technology i wouldn't be able to to you know truth be told like being abroad for as long as i have been i'm so grateful for skype and for facebook and for whatsapp there's so many devices like I can talk to family whenever I need to. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Just really the time zone difference, trying to coordinate, but people now are kind of used to it. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. For, for Zoom, it's like virtual meetings are the business. So, yeah. That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. are, are, oh no, because you, you're <laughs> off for the summer. Were, did, were your classes virtual up until, you know, whenever you ended for the summer? Yeah, you know, we actually, well, it's, it's, it's a long story because with COVID, like the way it happened so quickly, well, I won't say it was quick. Yeah, it was quick because they weren't expecting like for the classes just, just stop in the middle of the semester like they, they did. Mm. I remember my students, they had missed exams like in the middle of the semester, like week eight. They went home for the weekend because usually they travel home for the weekend, like after you know, exams and stuff, they went home and they never came back. Like they weren't planning to go home and not come back. Mm-hmm. So it was a transition because we're just classroom. They have their books. Many students didn't bring their books because they're like, yeah, you're studying for exams. So then it was like, okay, how are we going to move all of this stuff online? Like we just, we weren't really prepared, but we had to do it. We had to make it work. So yeah, for half of the school year, because it was back in March, middle of March. Yeah. It was like half of the semester. From middle of March until the end of um, May, we were virtual. So <sighs> that was yeah. an experience <laughs> to yeah. be had, but we made it work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that now because there's like a lot of talk now about teachers potentially being forced to go back to the classroom here. And a lot of people are very unhappy about it and very concerned about it. Um at least you had that virtual option. Do you think you would? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm assuming Oman probably treated this whole situation better than the U.S. has. So maybe it's safer to go back to the classroom for you when the new semester starts. But I don't know. What What do you think? <laughs> no, I don't think. And, you know, I we're waiting. Because, man, time is fine. It's already middle of July. But we were waiting for them to announce, like, what's going to happen next semester. Like, I know it was proposed that they may do, like, 
half and half. Like we may go to the campus like one day a week and then the students may, you know, do most of the things online. And I'm like, what's the point in that? Like you're still putting us at risk. Like we just do everything online. We, we made it work last semester, even though it was, wasn't an easy transition. So I know they're trying to make it better, but it, I think that proposal, I'm not confident that it was going to get approved because our numbers have been steadily increasing. Like mm-hmm. we're not in a good place with, with um, COVID, the numbers. So I'm like, at this rate, I don't see that happening. Like the smart thing would be to do would be to just make it do like the next semester online and see how it goes with, you know, the vaccine or whatever's going to happen by the end of the year. But um, yeah, fingers crossed. We, we, we may be in the same boat as USA. I don't know what's going to happen with that but I'm, I'm optimistic that we will be able to do it online because I don't want to be in a classroom with 25 students either like <laughs> anyone else back home I'm like I'm not ready for that <laughs> no right so yeah that's where we're at <laughs> okay yeah hopefully you won't have to grow dang that's 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 a shame I I would I think maybe somewhat being in my U.S. bubble I just assumed that we were all just like it seems like everyone else has been able to like to to recover and like somewhat return to normal life or, or whatever the new normal for people is or is the u.s you know not valuing people and focused on money all the time you know this is the situation that we're in because we didn't take this seriously so yeah. i just assume all countries were faring yeah. better than us but um dang that's uh that's um yeah. a shame that you know you still have to have those concerns in, in oman and hopefully you like you said you will get to at least for as far as your um Mm-hmm. your classes go be able to continue to be online because um you know if you can make it work then then why not oh exactly it's like better safe than sorry i, I kind of feel the same way like you said it's and that's the thing it's not like on my like I, I i give praise where it's due like our administration they've really been trying hard like masks are mandatory everywhere now mm-hmm. like for the first couple months they were mandatory but they finally implemented that when they've seen the numbers we're still increasing. So like you, you can get a fine if you go out in public without a mask on. Like they they're 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 doing what they can, but I think culture wise the differences, like for me, obviously I'm single. I have an apartment, I'm by myself. Like I it's easier for me to social distance and, and not be around people. Mm-hmm. But Omani culture, it's like you have families sometimes 10, 12 people in one house. Mm-hmm. Like they're massive houses, they're like little mansions. Like if you have big families and it's kind of hard for them to grasp, like, I can't go see my grandmother or my, you know, people on the weekend, like, they're really, they, they really had a hard time with that. So I think just like in the past six, five, six weeks, the numbers just started skyrocketing. We were just like, we were doing so good. What happened? But I think people just get kind of antsy. It's like, oh, I miss my family. You know, they can't. The mosques are closed. Like, many of the public places are still closed. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I, we were like, okay, how is this thing spreading? And I started thinking about it. Like, it's come out even in the news, too. Like, people have been having little private parties. And people are still having mm-hmm. small little wedding ceremonies. Like, I read an article. I'm just like, what are you guys doing? But they're like, oh, no, it's just my family. We're okay. We're like, no, no, you're getting your family sick. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been hard for them to grab culturally and I'm like <laughs> so that's where we're at <laughs> yeah okay so it's like we both have a ways to go yeah I guess yeah. We'll, it, it remains to be seen how things how things will go but uh so yes you're back in Oman you've been teaching you've been living in Oman for a number of years and then you also of course have uh in addition to teaching and traveling you have I love to globe trot right your blog and Facebook yeah. group can you tell me about yes. that? You started that with a friend, right? Yeah, actually, my my business partner Renee, we actually met in South Korea. Mm. You know, that's what I was going to say. It's one of the beautiful things of living met so many amazing people that I'm still connected with, even though now I'm in Oman and she's in Australia. When we started the community, it was like both of us were in the last like months of us living in South Korea. We were moving to our respective locations, and we decided we wanted to start our own travel community. For and to inspire people to travel abroad, but also to live abroad, since we both were doing it, and that's literally how I love the glow chat started. Like, you know, me writing about my experiences living in Oman, and me and her trying to do group trips, like with, with the travel community. We'll do meetups, and we've been to Iceland together with people from the community and in different places. Um, you know, Athens and Greece. So, and she's done a group trip to India. So, you know, it was something that we just felt like. 
you know, as a black woman, we really wanted to inspire people to consider this lifestyle. And I love it. Like the group is like about just actually, I just want to say it's over 10,000 10, members now. Oh, wow. We have people from all over the world. Like a lot of people. Some people are teachers. Some people are, you know, work in different fields. But everyone just likes to share about their experiences of traveling. And, and some people inquire about jobs. Like there's, you know, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge and resources. So mm-hmm. I'm very happy of like what I've created, you know, being living abroad. It's just like I've done this teaching experience. I've had opportunities to study abroad and travel and write about like amazing places. So very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. I, I was curious because uh, as you alluded to, I have talked to a handful of, of travel bloggers um, for this podcast, but they're all like solo, like they kind of their blog or I guess their brand, I guess you could call it is based on like them. Whereas you, you have yeah. like a partner, right? So I'm curious as to <laughs> if you think that um, makes any difference at all or makes things, I don't know, just different or maybe even better because you're not doing this by yourself. You have a partner, like y'all are doing this, this together. Yeah. I do feel like it helps a lot. Like truthfully, truthfully, like, we have different strengths. So like for me, I am more vocal when it comes to like the blog, like Renee, she's like the you know business savvy. She's tech savvy. Like, you know, when we need to redesign a website, she, she's on the, you know, the side of that. And whenever we've done a group trip, like since, since for us, I love the glow trial. We, when we started it, we had this idea of like, we want to have this all encompassing travel brand. Like it wasn't just going to be a blog, but I've been, pretty successful with the writing aspect of it so that's kind of taken off for me and just because people are really curious about Oman so a lot of the content is about like traveling throughout the Middle East and this particular region so it's nice because like in the beginning we would bounce ideas off each other and we, we tried different things and so we haven't been successful at everything like I know at one point we were trying to develop a travel app and we ran into some complications but it was nice because it's like we worked we built it together you know so it's like yeah I think it helps to have a partner But it just really kind of depends on what you are trying to do with your brand. So, you know, like I said, the blog has been very prominent. We've been in publications like Essence and National Geographic and things like that. But on the business side of like the the group trips and the different things that we were actually planning to do a retreat this summer, not this summer, but this fall. But then COVID happened. So we've had to postpone some of those trips and things of that nature. But, you know, what can we do? (laughs) So it's nice to have some you know, try to grow with on that level from here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of things out of your control, but it sounds like you've two been able to do some amazing things together and get recognized for it as well. So, you know, that's, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's mm-hmm. been amazing. I'm grateful. And there was one other thing too, that I, we've been talking, you know, I talked about teaching abroad and I've been doing it for 10 years. I do want to mention to your listeners, you know, we have the blog. I love to go try it in the group. But I'm also like a published author as well. Like a couple of years ago, I wrote oh. a book. Um, it's called A Guide to Landing a Job Abroad. So I didn't want to mention that because talking about my experience of teaching abroad, I, I would get so many questions. People would email me and things of that nature. I'm like, how did you get into South Korea? How did you do this? So I kind of detailed not just my personal experience, but I did a lot of research, interviewed about 10 to 12 teachers in different locations and, you know, different tests. Remember, I talked about the TESOL program. I Every recommendation. So mm-hmm. just for anybody who, you know, young gifted author listeners may be interested, like, oh, how do I get into that? I, I detailed it in the book because I would get so many questions about it. So I wanted to mention that. Okay. Yeah. Can you say the name of the book one more time? You slightly broke up. So I just want, so people can hear clearly. Can you say the title of the book again? It's called A Guide to Landing an English Teaching Job Abroad. Okay. And it's available on Amazon. If they look, if they look my name, they'll that will come up because that's my self-published book on there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. great. So like you said, you've been here, you were, hmm, you've been in Oman for a long time and you didn't expect to be there that long. And, you know, at some point you probably move on to somewhere else, I guess, in addition mm-hmm. to moving on to somewhere else, is there something else, is there something else that you'd also envision yourself doing? Uh, like, I guess, career wise going forward after Oman. Absolutely. In in a 
in an ideal, like my, my dream, you know, I got my, my vision board back here, look, look back on it. But like one of my goals is after I finish teaching abroad, like I said, I don't know how many more years. I have at least two more years on this contract in Omaha, but after that, I don't know where to next. I'll still be teaching or what's going to happen. But the ultimate goal, like I said, I want to get back to Europe. Like in my mind, I would love to go to Portugal. I feel like that's a place that I can see myself doing like early retirement. I literally was watching a program earlier about like building dream houses on a budget. And I was like, yeah, but Portugal is where I want to go next. And like, ultimately I want to have a hostel slash winery. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a big dream, but how does the saying saying go? If you know, you don't, your dreams don't scare you. They're not big enough, but this one scares me. So it's pretty darn big, but I want to have like a hostel or like a, a small inn. But I also want to have like a, you know, like an eco-friendly, sustainable living. But I love wine, <laughs> so it's like I want to get into that too. So I'm trying to figure out like how to marry those two. But that's really, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a business person at the end, at the end of the day, you know. But I'm a traveler as well, so I'm like this is a little bit of, you know, they have the travel aspect, but let's continue to live abroad, having my own business. So that that's that's the dream. Yeah, to have a hostel in, in Portugal. That's <laughs> an amazing dream. I hope yeah. it comes true for you. I feel like it will. I don't see why not. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Inshallah. (laughs) I've been here in the Middle East for so long. God willing. Inshallah. (laughs) I I feel like I I can make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. I believe you can. And so, okay, so you said for, for Germany, or like your overall, like, master's program, that was all, like, paid for or was it like just significantly cheaper than than being in the states oh well yeah it wasn't a free program like i know a lot of people are like oh you can go to germany you can study for free i'm like well we're not german nationals usually the free option is for people who are nationals from yeah. there but it's relatively cheap okay like for the the Erasmus program that i did since it was partner universities you had to pay like a, a fee mm. it was like a partnership fee i think so it wasn't like based on germany it was based on europe so it was a little more expensive than like we go straight to Germany and not apply through one of those partner programs. Okay. But it's still relatively cheap compared to what you get in the state. So I recommend it. Okay. So was there anything that you had to do? I mean, you mentioned getting a scholarship for South Africa, right? But was there anything that you had to do to, to like be able to afford, um, you know, pursuing your master's or living in, in, in Germany and whatnot? Mm. Oh, you, you had the side job, right? You had the part-time job, right? For me, when I first came to the movies, like I knew that, you know, transitioning from South Korea to Oman, like my, my pay was going to be better. So I had planned for having a decent amount of like when I left South Korea, like when you're the every year you get like a pension that's paid into. So when you leave, you have like a nice amount of money to take on with you. Mm-hmm. So when I left Korea, I had a decent amount of savings. But then coming to the Middle East, I my first year here, I actually had two roommates. So like I say, it's different now because like now I have my own apartment by myself. Mm. You know, I was not saving as much now by myself, but that's okay. Peace of mind. (laughs) But that first year I was living in Oman, I was planning for that, you know, transition of going to school. So when considering I lived in a villa, like a nice house with two roommates and we shared transportation, I saved a very good amount of money my first year in Oman. So that savings coupled with what I already had from Korea. It, it wasn't a difficult transition for me to be able to move to Europe, you know, and pay for my program. But like I said, I did have a, like a little part-time job. Right. And I worked for a few months. I didn't actually do that for the entire time I was there, just for a few months to get, you know, keep me afloat. But um, yeah, so it, it just worked out. Like that's the beauty of teaching ESL abroad. It's like depending on your lifestyle, you know, for me, I'm a traveler. So I, like I said, I go to a lot of places. I could be saving more than I have. And that's been like my mindset of changing that my retirement goes. So, you know, my, my opportunity to move to Europe. So you, you can definitely save just depending on, you know, you can make it work. Okay. And do you have any, um, as far as people who might want to study abroad, like you did, or just want to travel more, do you have any, um, advice, tips or advice in that regard that you'd like to share? Mm, Well, definitely for, you know, for both, for studying abroad and traveling, you know, one of the things that, you know, I used to work in market research, right, mm-hmm. before, I, before I was a teacher. So I was always big on, like, researching opportunities and talking to people 
people because that's really what my background was in with communications, like setting up surveys for companies. And so like I was always like questions, questions, questions. Look for communities like I love the Glow Trot and different, you know, like brothers and sisters in South Korea, you know, different groups on social media. Like that 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 type of group is really what inspired me to want to start I love the Glow Trot because it was like that community was awesome for me going into Korea and I was like, well, I want to have a travel community. I want to have a community for, you know, not not just people who are, who are only in Korea, but people from around the world to help each other. So that's really where kind of the idea spawned. So definitely, like, when you're looking to teach abroad and um, study abroad, look for, you know, communities. Bala, Black Americans living abroad. Like, that community is amazing as well. Like, you, there's so many resources because, like, people like me who are in, who had these lived experiences were in there were answering questions for people who want to live abroad or study abroad like that that's a nice community because you have people from all over and similar you know background as me you know when it comes to like having different experiences so mm-hmm. research reach out to communities so read my book you know if you're trying right. to get, get like, no, there's 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 resources out here you know i think as an educator i'm just like yes yeah, do your do your primary research like yeah. you know the things that i tell my students i'm telling like people in my travel community and like, you know, people who, who are inspired by my story. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. That's all very helpful. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned Portugal, obviously that's somewhere you'd like to retire and have your hostel and your winery as well. Is there anywhere else in the world that you, that's on your list of places you'd like to visit or revisit? I know you said Cape Town is somewhere you'd always like to go back to, but anywhere else? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things with me living here in the Middle East, like I'm so so heartbroken because like you know last month was my birthday. I was supposed to went to Mozambique. Like that was that was the dream. It was like I was back to Africa, but obviously I couldn't travel. <laughs> but um, one of the things that has been like a goal of mine is try to get some more countries in Africa because being here in the Middle East is obviously relatively easy to get to. Um, so. You know, Mozambique is high on my list, Mauritius. I love the beachy places, but, you know, I've, I've done safari. I've done different, like, I've been to all eight countries in Africa, but there's so much more that I want to get to. So, you know, Ethiopia is high on my list because I love architecture and, like, history. So, yeah, and hopefully next year I'm going to have to make up, like, next summer it's, it's going to be lit because this summer <laughs> being home in the Middle East, being in Oman, I'm like, I'm already, like, Check, check, check. These are the places I'm going to because I didn't make it there this year. Yeah. <laughs> ready. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to break out and you're strategizing already right now <laughs> where you're going to go. Good, good. Um, okay, well, then um, my last question that I ask everybody is where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Yeah, definitely. Um, the I Love to Glow Trot, you know, we have the Facebook group and it's the, the same name on all of the social media pages. So, you know, the spelling is wonky. So I just spell it out for people. It's I and then love is L-U-V and then the number two and then Glow Trot all together. I Love to Glow Trot. So you can join the Facebook group. You can follow us on Instagram, the Facebook page, Twitter. Like We're, we're everywhere. So <laughs> definitely in the blog, of course. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, it should be really easy to find. So, um, thank you again for for going to be a guest and for your time today. I'm so sorry for all the techno di- technical difficulties we had, but we made it work. <laughs> we made it work for our BGM, our Black Girl Magic. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it was nice also to talk to someone you know from Michigan from Detroit like I think I told you I was born there but raised in the suburbs I used to talk to people from Michigan or from Detroit on the show all the time and it's been a while so it's nice to talk to someone from from Detroit again fellow Michigander yes (laughs) (laughs) no same here same here thank you so much it's been fun (laughs) yeah and so um so I, I think it was August 18th was the date that I gave you. Yeah, so you'll hear from me as it gets closer to the, the oh, 18th. Yeah, yeah, that's my niece's birthday too, so that's kind of funny. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's funny how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay, okay sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you, you have a good day, and I'm going to enjoy the rest of my little evening here. <laughs> All right, yes, please do. And um, yes, I'll be in touch. So thank you again. This was great, and, and you take care, okay? Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Nicole for being such a wonderful guest. And 
and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And also don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, the guest is going to be a YouTuber whom I am subscribed to. (laughs) And this particular YouTuber moved to London for grad school. And she's still living in London currently. (laughs) So you can look forward to hearing more about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.